0: Well, hello, church. I want to welcome all of you here at Rock Island. I also want to greet our campus from Bettendorf, our campus at the Quantity Correctional Center, and those tuning in online. Thanks for taking time to gather together as the church. And if you're a guest with us, or maybe you're returning after some time away, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. We're a church that's committed to connecting people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. And I, I am Continually amazed that God allows us to be part of that journey. In fact, we're engaged intentionally in specific areas and, and interests or expressions so that we can facilitate those connections. We call those things bold moves. And so we're in communities like Moline and Bettendorf. We're in schools in Davenport and Rock Island. And we're in correctional facilities both locally and regionally. Each of those expressions are places that we get to share the love of Jesus so that people can live the life that Jesus came for them to be able to live life to the full. Now, our next bold move happens to be our biggest bold move, and it centers around the acquisition and repurposing of a building to serve as a regional hub in this movement of God that He's calling us to be a catalyst in. And as we have been in a focused season of negotiation, We've continued to look to acquire what we believe is that facility, which is the old Kone building with the tower. And we have invited our entire church into the conversation by asking all of us to talk to God and do what He says. And for those of you who have been doing that, I just want to say thank you. For those of you who have been praying but have not yet said, this is what God is telling me, I want to encourage you to let us know. And not only let us know, but to step in obedience to whatever God has said. In fact, we're ready to receive resources, and many of you have already stepped into giving the resources God has asked you to give. But I want to encourage you, if you've heard from God, to declare what He's asked of you and take that next step. You can do that through a couple of ways. One is to use the Bold Move card you can find in your lobby. The other is to use the offering envelope. Just put other and and mark that Bold Move spot there. Or you can also go online at heritageqc.com forward slash bold moves. You'll find more information there. You can partner there, but you can also connect to the link to actually give towards the bold moves God's calling us to. And as we as a church continue to lean into that negotiation process and the acquisition process, we'll keep you informed and let you know how it goes, but I need you to continue to pray. It is clear to me that God has consistently gone before us, granting us great favor Please continue to pray that he does that even more. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he works it all out and celebrating that with you soon. But let's step back into our parables journey for a bit. We've been having a conversation around some of the parables of Jesus. And and the word parable literally is the idea of laying alongside. And, And it speaks to this word picture idea And it's a very common expression or form of teaching that Jesus used. And and we've looked at a number of parables, including the parable of the unmerciful servant last week. And you can find those online. But have you ever wondered how parables got their names? Because Jesus didn't name them, it happened over time through history. And it's actually helpful. In fact, when you look in the Bible, most of the headings and and the the chapter numbers and verse references, those are all things that were added over time to help us be able to study and reference and and go back to and find and even collaborate. In fact, if those were all gone, can you imagine the kind of conversations we'd be trying to have? Hey, remember that parable about the man? (laughs) Which one? (laughs) The the, the one with the king? (laughs) Which one? (laughs) Which one? It's almost that who's on first dynamic would come out. And so, to help us, we've named these things. But if we're not careful, we can name them in a way that gives the wrong focus. We can come up with the wrong name, and the wrong name can create confusion, and the wrong name can lead us to the wrong focus. It can happen with a parable, but it can also happen in daily life, like with business names. Let me show you what I mean. Here's just a couple examples. Curl Up and Die Hairstyle Studio. I'm not sure if that's the right focus or not. Curl Up and Die may give the wrong impression. Here's another one, let me show you what I mean. Boring Business Systems. It may be accurate, but I'm not sure it gives the right focus in marketing. Let's go to the next one here. Boxwell Brothers Funeral Directors. I actually think this one is kind of appropriate. I think they were just, it was destiny for this family to be engaged in the funeral home business. Let's go to this next one, though. I kind of like it. Soon fat Chinese takeaway. Sometimes the wrong name can give the wrong focus and lead to confusion. It can happen in business names, but it can also happen in parables. And that's exactly what's happened in the parable we're looking at today. Most translations call this the parable of the sower or something pretty close to that. And and the reality is it only simply includes a sower. It's not about the sower. It's not even about the seed. It's about the soils. And the soil represents the hearers' hearts, the hearts of those who hear the parable. And this is really important to understand that it's about the heart because issues of heart are central to issues of life. This is your first fill-in. If you want to track along with your note guide today, that's just there as a helpful tool for you. Issues of the heart are central to issues of life. In fact, most of the parables of Jesus are directly and specifically about our hearts and the need to live as he instructed us. Because hearing is not enough. Just to hear is not to going far enough. We need to be able to respond. and that means it includes our heart. Without that response, without the heart, then we never really experience all that God has for us. And we actually want that. So issues of the heart are central to issues of life. and, and we're looking at this thing that we know as the parable of the sower, but it's not about the sower. It's not even about the seed. It's about the soils. And, and you could even just scratch out in your note guides, sower, and put soils, because it's talking about the soil. It's talking about the reality of our hearts. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to the book of Mark, second book in the New Testament, chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be picking up at verse 3. This is where we're leaning into this parable. Now, I want you to understand something. We are picking up in Jesus' storyline the same spot we started the parable series in. We looked at it in Matthew 13. We're now in Mark chapter 4. It's the same moment in time told by two different writers, both in the Gospels themselves. And you may recall that Jesus had gone down to the shore of Galilee. His popularity was growing. A crowd gathered around. He was trying to teach, but he couldn't because of the crowd. So he hopped in a boat, pushed off ashore, and began to teach. And one of the things he taught was this parable, the parable of the soils. In fact, this parable is included in all three Gospels that contain parables. The the Gospel of John doesn't have any parables, but but Matthew, Luke, and Mark do. In Matthew 13, you can find this story. In Luke 8, you can find this story. And we're in Mark chapter 4, in, in a space where actually Jesus shares four different parables. But this one, the one we're looking at, he later explains... And, and, and few are so explained so directly and specifically as this one. So let's check out the parable of the soils. We're starting in verse 3 in Mark chapter 4. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now, something to understand. When farmers sowed their seed, it was reaching into a bag and scattering it across the soil. That was the method of the day. That was the way it happened. And in this scenario, some fell along the path. And then the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, The plants were scorched and they withered. Uh, They they withered away because they had no root. Another way to say that is there was this withering almost directly is this uh, offending that takes place in the scorching reality of it. We'll get to that in a moment. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Now we keep going. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's Jesus' way of saying, are you listening? It's his way of saying, can you hear me now? Now, this is a great parable, but what does it actually mean? And we looked at how to study parables when we launched the series you can get back to that if you want to a bit later but again we're not this is not about the sower it's not about the seed it's about the soil it's about the heart and it ultimately reminds us of a truth that our heart is revealed in how we respond our heart the condition of our heart the status of our heart is revealed in how we respond in how we what respond and you responded very well good job It's revealed in how we respond. Our heart is revealed in what we do. It's it's revealed in how we react how we react to tragedy, how we react to blessing, how we react to success or to failure, how we react to pain or to loss, how we react to provision or even scarcity. Our heart is revealed in how we respond. Now again, one of the cool things about this parable is that Jesus explains it. it it's, his explanation is recorded for us. He, he actually explained all of them to his disciples. If you're looking in Mark, verses 33 and 34, it says he explained all of them to his disciples. And, but not all of them are recorded. So let's check this out because he gives us the explanation for us to understand what we're supposed to do with it. Continuing on in the scripture. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where, where word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They quickly wither. Another more literal way to say this is that they get offended at the adversity. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful, so that there's no fruit, there is no harvest, Others, however, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Okay, listen. The heart is the focus in this parable, but the response is the point that's important. If we miss the focus of a parable, we miss the whole point. If we think that the seed represents something else other than the word, like love, or money, or hard work, we'll miss the point. It would be like somebody sitting in that moment when Jesus told us, like a farmer going, ah, he's telling the story. I think, oh, it must mean I need to be more careful in where I scatter my seed so it's not wasteful. He missed the point. That's not the point. Maybe as somebody who's in business or politics going, oh, we clearly have a problem. We need some farmer education and and I can actually build a program that'll position me to get elected because we can help the farmers farm better. Uh, He's missed the point. Even if someone's sitting there going, we've got a bird problem. (laughs) You missed the point. If we miss the focus, we miss the whole point of the parable. And the heart, our heart is the focus and our response is the point. And the condition of the soil the condition of our heart determines the outcome. See, in the scenario, it's the same sower, it's the same seed, but there's four different outcomes. Because the soil influences the growth of the seed and it influences the ultimate success or failure of the harvest, and it does that most. So there's four different responses that Jesus gives, and I want to walk down them through just for a moment. The first relates to that hard reality, and I want to call that calloused. There's a calloused heart condition. This is where the the word, the truth, doesn't sink in, and it gets taken because it doesn't sink in. There's a hardness because of exposure having been trampled. When you come across hard ground that is a pathway, you know that thing's been stomped, and it's hard. We're talking about a hard heart, a calloused heart. When we have friction on our skin, it creates a callous, right? And I think in a very similar way, the friction of life can create a calloused heart for us. And many of us blame our circumstances. We cast blame, but hardness always begins in the heart. It's not the circumstances we live in, but how we respond to them that defines this condition. So calloused is one. One. The second would relate to the shallow realities, and, and this is casual. I want to call this casual, because the people here in this condition believe for a while. They, they respond with great excitement, but, but over time, in testing, they fall away. When, when the emotions wear off and difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. They are easily offended by the difficulty. They're casual. But there's a third condition. This would be described as choked, but I want to call it crowded. It's a crowded heart, choked by life's worries, by our our possessions, by our pleasures. These are individuals who have not yet matured. They worry about things they have to do or all the things they want to get to do, and they're crowded in, and the stress strangles out what they've heard about the word and, and truth, and nothing comes of it. It's the worry and pressure, and this can happen in a number of areas of life. It can happen as we worry about our kids. It can happen as we worry about work, any number of areas. When I was a state trooper, one of the things I did is transition from patrol to criminal investigations for a season. And as a detective, it was a much different dynamic for me. In patrol, I could just show up to a problem, deal with it, have a little bit of paperwork, and move on. I was done. It was fire and forget in my mind. But in criminal investigations, I had to carry the responsibility and the weight of from significant things, and it consumed me. It, my personality started to change. I would sit at home when I was supposed to be playing a game with my boys, and I would be thinking about the, the realities around those cases. My, it, was, it was affecting my heart. It was crowding out the things that were most important. And we, spiritually, can allow other things to crowd out the things that are most important and end up with a choked or crowded heart. But there's a fourth condition. This is the good soil, and I want to call it changed. It's changed. This is where the heart is right and good, and when we hear the word, and we retain it, and by persevering, we produce a crop. That's the good soil. Now, something the Jews understood in their day is that God makes things grow. However, they also understood there was a need to tend the soil, to till it, to fertilize it, to water it, Farmers do all they can to make sure the soil can produce what it can. And these are the four types of responses, the four heart conditions, the four soil conditions that Jesus is talking about. And I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that none of us want to be these top three. Even if we've struggled with spiritual things or faith or or just struggled with God and our belief, we don't want to be hard-hearted. We don't want to be unfruitful and we don't want to have Stuff robbed from us, the things that can be actually robbed from us. We want to be good soil. We want to produce fruit. We want to have right hearts. But how do we do that? What is good soil? You know, there's a number of places in Scripture I wish God had just decided to give us a bit more information. And this is one of those places. I wish Jesus had given us a little more explanation about what good soil actually is. But all he says, he just says three things. He says they hear, they accept, and they produce fruit. And literally, literally he's saying they continually accept and they continually produce fruit. Which leaves us to think about our own experience with soil. I mean, we've all been in the dirt. Maybe even in the mud pie. When I was a kid, we had a, we had a garden in our backyard. It was my dad's stress therapy from working in ministry. That's how he just, he got out there and he worked and he made my, my brother and I work out there too. We didn't have the stress until we got out there, but he made us work. And every season, every year when it came time to just to get the garden ready, it was about soil preparation. It was about pulling weeds. It was about tilling. It was about removing rocks. It was about Fertilizing and giving the right nutrients into that space. Every year we did that, it was significant that we were creating good soil so that it was prepared to receive. But again, Jesus is not really talking about soil here, he's talking about the heart. A heart ready to receive and to believe. One that is open, not critical. One that is ready, not doubting. One that actually knows and recognizes truth. It reminds me of the story of a defendant who was on trial for murder. And there was really strong evidence against him, but the reality was there was no corpse. And the defense attorney, as he prepared for his final remarks, really had the sense that they were going to lose, and, and he needed to do something special. So he decides to pull a trick on the jury, and here's what he said. He said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. Then he looked at his watch. He said, within one minute, the person presumed dead in the case will walk into this courtroom. (laughs) He looked toward the courtroom door. The jurors were somewhat stunned, and they all looked eagerly. And a minute passed, and nothing happened. Finally, the lawyer said, actually, I made up the previous statement. But you all looked on with anticipation, and I therefore put it to you that there is reasonable doubt in this case as to whether anyone was killed and insist you return a verdict of not guilty. The jury was clearly confused at this moment, but they, they retired to deliberate. But in a few moments, they were back with a verdict, and the jury pronounced a verdict of guilty. The lawyer said, wait, how? How? How could you do that? You must have had some doubt. And I saw you all stare at the door. And the jury foreman stood and replied. He said, oh, we looked, but your client didn't. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Our heart is revealed in how we respond. (laughs) Our heart is revealed in how we react, in in what we do. Now hear me again. Our being leads to doing, not doing to our being. That's works. Who we are then defines what we do. And how we respond reveals our heart. And that positions us then again to go back. Okay, in light of this parable, what's the condition of our heart? Well, let's go back to the four options that Jesus described. That first is hard or calloused that soil that is often exposed to the world. It's trampled, it's walked on, it's used. And it's really hard to stop that kind of impact of the world in our lives. And that can lead us to an unwillingness to trust because of our hurt, our fear, or doubt. And then seeds of truth can't even break the surface. And we end up resistant to good stuff. And then Satan comes and snatches it away. He steals it. When a heart is hard. So let's just talk a moment though about what this is when it comes to the concept of Satan taking from us. Now this is going to be new for some of you. This will be a review for others. Because the truth is when it comes to how Satan works, he can't take what we don't give. When we follow Jesus, when, he, when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, Satan has no power over us. He only has what we give him. But he's pretty tricky and able to, to fool us into giving him stuff he doesn't deserve or should have. And maybe for you today, the condition of your heart is what it is because you have allowed him to have a foothold. You have given him access in certain thoughts, habits, or even relationships. And if that's the case, I want to again speak to you about the tactic that he uses to take from us. Scripture says that, that he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, so the reality is for us as a people, God has created us to live in the context of community. We're not made to do life alone. And in that community, we find a source of truth and love. Now, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But in the context of the community of believers, we find the ability to live in a place where we experience truth and love. But here's where where this whole taking begins. It begins when the enemy positions us to embrace what we call a D. It's doubt, it's discouragement, it's despair, It's deception, it's delay. All of these things are tools of Satan. They are not tools of God. God has other tools to work with his people. But if the enemy can get us to step away from truth, he's the father of lies and he is the accuser. So the first thing he wants to do is remove truth from the equation by getting us to embrace a lie through a D, a doubt, a discouragement, or despair. The moment we embrace one of those Ds, we end up in one of three locations. We end up in fear, isolation, or victim mentality. The moment we embrace a D, we end up in one of these three places. And now we're outside of the community of truth and love already, and we're heading down a bad path. But having taken truth out of the equation because we offered it up, we embraced a lie rather than holding the truth, we're now in a pattern of running through all three realities because his goal isn't to keep us here. His goal is to continue to use D's to move us from fear to isolation to victim mentality. So I'm afraid, therefore I isolate myself because I don't want to be a victim. Or I've been a victim, I'm afraid it's going to happen again, so I isolate myself. This is how he works. His goal is not to keep us here, though. His goal is to move us in a downward spiral to the very bottom where one of two things happen— kill, or destroy. Steals here seeks to facilitate killing, and most often when somebody's struggling with suicide, it's because they've walked this journey down to this point, and it's to kill ourselves. The flip side is to destroy others, to to malign, to blame, to hold a grudge, to not forgive, the crazy, ironic reality about that is the enemy leads us into this place where we can be free when we embrace truth because we got into this by embracing something that was not true. The moment we start to embrace truth, we come out of this. And the more lies we embrace along the way, the more levels we've got to come back out. But all we have to do is embrace truth. And the reality is, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power and love and self control. We are not victims, we are more than conquerors in Him. And the reality is we're not alone. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. The, the deal is when we embrace the lie, we allow Satan to take truth from us. Now we end up stuck down here. And when we get to this point of destroy. The crazy ironic thing is when we blame, we hold unforgiveness in our heart, we accuse others, we are indicting the very thing that could help pull us out of this whole thing. And that's the complexity of what he does. And my friends, it's relentless. This is relentless. He never quits. I continually have to recalibrate my own heart and mind to truth. It's why studying and reading the word of God is so important. It's not just a ritual. It's not just a discipline to do something. It's so that we know what truth is. It's why it's so important to not forsake the gathering together of believers so that we can live in the context of community because the very thing that can keep us from drifting into this becomes the very thing we indict. And this is why many people are sheep shifters and move from church to church and church indicting the very people they should be living in community with. But it happens to all of us. Listen, my preparation to preach this sermon this weekend, he was hammering me around this. I actually, in the last few days, have been been trying to reclaim truth, not to be afraid to stand in front of you and teach. I am not invulnerable to this. He is relentless in his pursuit. I'll go one step further. Having preached a very overt message about forgiveness last weekend, where do you think he tried to get me this weekend? Or this week? Victim mentality. Back to, Sean, you never should have been treated that way. You know what? It's going to happen again. You need to isolate yourself. It, he, this is relentless. And if you don't see this in your life, something is blinding you because, and maybe it's your hard heart, but this is how he works. And the truth is, he who is in us, Jesus, is greater than he is in the world, and we don't have to fall prey to this. A hard heart shuts out God and understanding. And we become vulnerable to those schemes. Paul described a heart that does this, like this in Ephesians. He said, They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. When we we forsake the truth... And we embrace a lie, we embrace a D, and we find ourselves in that downward cycle. We're now stuck in a pattern that we'll be in until we re-engage with truth, until we embrace forgiveness, until we lay hold of our relationship with God, until we soften our hearts. Don't let disappointment, don't let anger, don't let bitterness, pain, or loss harden your heart. Hard and calloused hearts have to be plowed up before they can receive the seed. And I got to tell you, that can be a painful experience. But often that's the reason God allows brokenness in our lives. It's necessary plowing. That's that hard calloused. The shallow reality is listen, that shallow dynamic, it, it's not just a rocky place. It can be a dirt covered rock where it looks really good on the surface, but right below it, is, it's rock. It's hard. It, it's someone whose faith is nothing more than, than a weekend expression. There's nothing below it. There's, there's little commitment and even less permission for God to do more. So when trouble comes, the casual bail, the casual turn away. It, we may agree that we should love our neighbor, for example, in principle. We may, may seem very godly to those around us, but if our neighbor mistreats us, if they don't live up to our expectations, there is a moment of testing where the, where the truth of God may wither away in our anger and our unforgiveness. That means we're casual, and we need to fight to go deeper. Read his word, pray, obey. But then finally there's that crowded reality, and here's what I want you to understand about the crowded reality. Notice it is not bad soil, it's good soil. It's not a lack of good soil. It's good, but it's not maintained. It's not guarded, it's not given proper care. Instead, we allow stuff, even pleasure, worry, lust, the D's, to enter in, and then we struggle. And often those who struggle here believe following God feels really good, but so does following the things of the world, and they end up serving two masters. And many Christians live in this space. They're busy, they're distracted, they have little time for the things of God. And they may even be pursuing noble and good pursuits, but they, they choke out time and attention with God, which then becomes an issue of freedom. So we gotta remove the weeds. We gotta focus, we say no to the distractions. Look, we'll never see all the good things God has for us with those three heart conditions being too hard, impure, distracted. But even worse than that, we, don't, we won't see God in them. Jesus said very plainly in Matthew 5, verse 8, He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The heart condition matters not only in what we experience, but what we can actually see. And the condition of our heart determines far more than the conditions of our life. The condition of our heart determines far more than the conditions of our life. Our heart determines what can be, even what can be seen. And none of us can honestly say that our response to God's word hasn't at some point been affected by things like hardship, and worry, and pleasure, and desire for things. We've all been impacted, and therefore none of us can say we've always been good soil. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen to the D's. We've all fallen into that pattern in some subject matter. But here's the other reality. We are all able to choose. We have a choice. We're not doomed to live in that current condition. Like the soil, like soil can be made good, God can change you through Jesus if you let him. So let him. Usually we look at this thing and we think that Jesus is talking about four types of people... But it's not a stretch to understand that what he's saying can also apply to how we individually live in different circumstances at different times around different subjects. And where we receive in some, but we're resistant in others. But yet what Jesus said about the good soils, that they continually accept, continually produce fruit. But we can receive in some and resist in others. Think about it this way. You might be open to what God wants for your future, but close to how he wants you to spend your time today, resisting and receiving. You may be ready to receive financial blessing, but not submitting to how he wants to use that financial resource. You may want to find the right person to marry, but you're not willing to wait for his timing or follow his instructions in the areas of priority or purity. And so he's not first in your life and you're not waiting to have sex. You may respond like good soil to God's invitation to worship, but not give generously to those in need. It's receive and resist. You may even cry out to him today, but rely on yourself tomorrow. We tend to receive in some and resist in others, but we're able to choose differently. We can continually accept and continually produce fruit. We're not doomed to our condition because of Jesus. Think about where, who was listening when Jesus shared this parable. The 12 disciples were there, and all of them fell away. Judas was choked out by greed. Peter, who ironically, whose name means rock, had a heart of rocky soil. So under the pressure of accusation, he denied his Savior three times. Yet that's the same dude who would go on to have a fertile soil in his life that the church could be grown out of. You can change the condition of your heart today can be changed. God wants you to become good soil. He wants to use that in every area of your life. The question becomes how? How do we become good soil? Well, if anyone can help us understand that, I think the brother of Jesus might be able to give us some insight. So let's check out James chapter 1, verse 19 and on into 22. He said, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's a hard calloused heart. Anger is hardness. It's being trampled. You feel justified. You need to forgive, but you feel justified in it. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. That's getting rid of the weeds. Get rid of it. Yank them out. Pull them out. And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. But don't just listen. Don't listen to the word. Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The condition of the heart is revealed in how we respond in what we do. Now that seems really easy enough but we always want to ask how do we apply this? So our soil reality takes us just to three things of how we can become good soil. Jesus said, hear the word, accept the word, produce fruit. So here's the deal. First thing is to choose to receive. The first thing to do is to choose to receive. Learn to trust God completely. Receive the word. Receive the truth. Even if if it's heavy. Even if it's hurtful in the sense that it's cleansing of us. But that starts with salvation. Receiving Him. You will never have a relationship with God without Jesus. You need Jesus as a mediator. You need to ask Him to be Lord and Savior. You need to ask Him to forgive you and position Him with authority in your life. That's your first step. If you've never done that, I implore you to do it today. On the back of the note, God, is a simple prayer that can guide you in that. A couple steps, but that's the place to start, to choose to receive. Don't become hardened by the things of life. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. So choose to receive. And don't fall prey to the D's. Don't, don't forfeit the truth for a lie. Choose to receive. Second, remove rocks and weeds. Remove them. Put your faith into action. Look at your heart. Look at your habits. Are there any bitterness? You have any wounds? You have any unforgiveness? Work hard to keep the weeds out. If you're flirting with temptation, run. Run away. You 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 got to you got to acknowledge weeds early before they take root and they get harder to have removed but you just need to ask God to remove them and he will he will remove them I once heard somebody say confession may be bad for your reputation but it's always good for your soul and it's true remove the rocks and weeds but then invite him to change your heart invite him to change your heart not your circumstances Listen, he can change our circumstances, but he's most interested in our hearts. And the circumstances he's allowed or orchestrated in your life may be specifically about changing your heart condition. Ask God to soften your heart and not just your circumstances. That will be an ongoing process. It's not one and done. We continually recalibrate. Just as preparing a garden has seasons and you come back and you prepare the soil and you tend it, our heart needs the same thing. So choose to receive him, remove the rocks and weeds, but then invite him to change your heart. This parable I told you very early on is not primarily about the sower, but we would be remiss if we ignored him. Without him, nothing is possible. The sower, if you notice, never gave up. Sowed even on the rockiest soils and the hardest hearts. It's a beautiful image and reality that God has not given up on you he waits for you to ask him to change your heart he waits for you to receive him he waits for you to offer up the weeds of your life that are choking you out and he waits for you to ask him to change your heart to choose to allow him to change your heart and you can and he will if you let him if you let him he can break up the hard soil He can clear out the rocks. He can make the shallow soil deep. He can pull the choking weeds from our life. And He can continue to nourish the areas where the soil is rich and deep. If we choose to allow Him, all we have to do is invite Him to do it. And you can. You can do this today. You may not be able to do anything about last year's harvest in your life. But what about this year? What about what is ahead? Because the Lord God Almighty has formed your heart and He sees it. And all you need to do is ask Him to change it. And invite His power to be at work in your life. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment to pray together. And even process a bit further on your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the parable of the soils. God, I thank you for the example of the sower, I think that you are I thank you that you are the sower. Your son, Jesus, scatter, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He he scatters seed all over the place with the hope, with the hope of us coming to you through him, of us bearing fruit. Lord, you have created us with a purpose. You have given us more than what we even probably realize at this point. Opportunity is ahead, but this, the things of this world, God, the, 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 the trampling of this world, the friction that rubs our heart can create that callous reality. And the things that vie for our attention can choke us out, distract us. But Lord, I pray in these next few moments that you would speak and you would call us out and we would step in freedom. We would offer up all that we are to all that we know of you. Lord, that we wouldn't hold back, but we would step boldly in relationship with your son, Jesus. That we would ask you to pull out weeds in confession. That we would ask you to heal wounds and help us to forgive. Lord, don't let us fall into the pattern that the enemy has for us. Don't let us forfeit truth. May you bring truth to our minds. God, if there's something we have failed to remember, something we have forfeited, and we've allowed Satan to take it from us, remind us of what what we once knew. Restore to us the truth that sets us free through your son Jesus. And as my friends have their own conversation with you as we step back into worship, may you speak. May you speak, Lord. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.